All right, you guys, I am currently struggling with a pinched nerve in my neck. And if you have ever had one, you know the pain. So I am feeling super thankful for today's sponsor, Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains like my pinched nerve, and it's great for sleep and anxiety, so I put it on right before bed. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. It is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Since learning the truth about alcohol over four years ago, I've become pretty skeptical about anything that seems too good to be true. You know, like alcohol. If you're like me and you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away, congrats, you're a skeptic too. Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it has high-quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking my multis actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com forward slash sober mom. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey and I'm so excited to get started. We're back with our resident therapist, mom. Mom, hey. LPC. Now, what are, what are the... Yep. LPC. <laughs> is it really? Licensed? Yeah. yeah. Licensed professional counselor, so I have a master's in psychology. Okay, Mom LPC is back to drop some therapeutic knowledge on us. Now, we're going to talk about boredom in sobriety, right? Because I keep hearing from people, what if I get bored? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. And and people are, uh, women are admitting that, yeah, that boredom is a trigger or can be. Yeah, I want to talk about boredom and fun. I just got a message from somebody on Instagram and she said, I really want to quit drinking. And I talked about this on the Sunday check-in, but since that's a bonus 
podcast episode for the Sober Mom Life Cafe members. $15 a month. Yeah, $15 a month. Come and join. You get meetings and a book club and a bonus podcast episodes and Discord and just so many things. So much more. So much more. And so, yeah, she said, I really want to keep drinking, but I just don't know if I'm going to be any fun. I really want to quit drinking. Oh, I thought you said, I really want to keep drinking. No, she wants to quit drinking, right? Oh, and, right, right. And I think that that was such an honest message. I don't know. I, I was impressed that she really could like nail it down to like, okay, I want to quit drinking. I, I know alcohol is no good in my life. I know what it is. What am I afraid of? Oh, I'm afraid I'm not going to be fun yeah. and I'm not going to have fun. I'm afraid I'm going to be bored. I'm afraid that sobriety is boring. And I get it because I I probably spent two decades thinking that, right? And just assuming that sobriety is kind of boring and missing out and, oh, poor them, that they lost the privilege of drinking. (laughs) Man, now where I sit, I'll be four years in January. That's the biggest fucking trick. It's the biggest lie. Well, and that's the message we get. That's what's so exciting about what you're doing and what this whole shift is that's happening is we have been told that everything's more fun with drinking. Drinking has has to be part of everything. And so we don't really have a counterfactual for that until we really start getting into it. Like, oh my gosh, this is such a different thing than I was afraid it would be. Yeah. And I think that Part of what makes it hard is that if you go into sobriety expecting to be missing out and kind of looking at it through a lens of the gaps that alcohol is leaving behind, and if you look at your life in the absence of alcohol, I think that it will feel like you're missing out. That's kind of why I say pregnancy is different. First, there are a lot of questions we don't have to answer. We don't have to answer the forever. But we look at it as we're missing out. And it's like, oh, well, this is for the baby. I'm doing this for the baby, but I'm the one who's going to miss out on the fun, right? And a lot of us, that's our only foray into sobriety is when we're pregnant. And so then you do look at it like you're going to miss out on the fun. And that is just such a lie, and it you know it matters our perspective on everything is what matters and if we look at it as a, i'm deprived as being sober is a life of deprivation i'm missing things then yeah then that's what we'll notice whatever we focus on expands so the more i focus on oh i can't do that i can't do that the more that that becomes the central message to ourselves and we're shifting that Yeah. And that's what I always talk about bringing alcohol into sobriety. And it's like my sobriety is just not lived in the shadow of alcohol, which a lot I think are. I I think that overall, I think that's what AA feels like to me. It feels like they're bringing, you know, they're just carrying alcohol on their back and it's like they will forever be under alcohol's thumb. And that's the beautiful, wonderful part about my sobriety is that it's free from alcohol. I'm free of that shadow. It's bright. I'm no longer in that shadow. And I just saw a post on Instagram where the guy said that in his experience, AA and that whole sort of old school approach is 
all about looking back. I was an alcoholic. I did all this stuff. I have to make amends. And, you know, nothing wrong with making amends. We've talked about that. But but no, the idea say, that... We say no amends here. <laughs> yeah, don't no ever amends. apologize. No. Back from the, the 1970s movie of Love Story, the, the big line was, love means never having to say you're sorry, which is the biggest bullshit line Wait, of any that's movie. that's hilarious. Yeah, it was Allie McGraw. And Ryan O'Neill in that was just ridiculous. And sh- they both said <laughs> later, because this was, you know, and they were in their 20s probably. Yeah, you guys knew nothing like in the 70s and oh, 80s about it was so feeling. Stupid. It was so stupid. Okay, I can we just talk about this? This is a tangent. It's so true. And we talk about this all the time in our meetings. It just comes up that like in our childhood, we weren't allowed to kind of like – say how we feel. It just wasn't a conversation. It's not like we weren't even allowed, but it just wasn't, there was no exploration about how children were feeling and we were, yes. there wasn't a discussion. Yes. That, well, yeah. Tell me. It, well, I was just going to say, case. yeah. Why did <laughs> no, you do that to us? You know, no, but it wasn't that we wouldn't allow it. Is that we no. took you out of it. Like if you're sad, oh, don't be sad. Right. Don't be scared. Here's why you shouldn't feel what you feel. So we thought we were, you know, I'm defending my, my boomer age group, but yeah. it wasn't that we refused to listen to it. Which I guess some families, to, some well, families yeah. did, right? Some yes, families yes. like, like feelings are very uncomfortable and right. they're just not allowed. Yeah, right. and we read that in a lot of the memoirs and stuff where the family culture was you do not talk about anything, even if it was horrible and, yeah. and right there. But I'm talking about even in healthy families, that was what we learned was we should say, don't feel bad. Here's why you shouldn't feel bad. And so then we weren't encouraging just some discussion and some honest feelings about stuff. We were just like, well, don't feel bad. That's Oh, you don't want to feel sad. Right. And telling a kid not to feel sad, what that does is that doesn't make a kid not feel sad. That makes the kid think, what's wrong with me that I feel sad? Yes, exactly. And then what do you do with it? Like, okay, so when I feel sad, how do I not feel this? Oh, alcohol is a really good way to do that right? Alcohol is a really good way to not feel and to not care. And when you have been kind of taught and groomed to not feel hard feelings, it comes in pretty handy. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, you got to do something that'll get rid of those bad feelings. And if you're 16 or 17 and you're like, oh my gosh, I this is how I've wanted to feel when you first start drinking. But let's go back to what yeah. I was going to okay. say. Go back. The idea that AA or some of those old school ways to deal with alcohol was looking back, being burdened by alcohol, knowing that, you know, you just have to deal with this for the rest of your life one day at a time. It's going to be a struggle and it'll be a struggle for all your life. And looking back at the shame and, you know, that whole thing of I am what I was. I you am know, I, an alcoholic. I am even, even if I yes. haven't drank in 25 years, I am still, an, and I will declare it every day, I'm an alcoholic. Exactly. And that whole thing that I'm identified with that, one of the things they say is once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. So you, you always have to be conscious and aware and waiting for it to jump out of the shadows at you. And yes. that there are people, quote unquote, Normies. Normies, yeah. Who magically have powers that don't succumb to alcohol and its addictive qualities. And so that further exacerbates this idea that there's something wrong with you. 
Yes. If alcohol does its thing, its alcohol thing, which is that it's a highly addictive toxic substance, if your body, how dare you allow that to happen, right? And yes, the more you drink it, the the higher likelihood it is that you'll become addicted. And so let's talk about different ways to cope. Let's not say there's something wrong with you that you got addicted to alcohol because that's just not true. <laughs> exactly. And let's shift that focus from, yeah, you are one of those that can never drink to, and I go back to this always, I've said it so many times that in uh, Laura McCowan's book where she said, it's not the bad news. It's the great invitation. And I just love that whole frame around all of it. This is a great invitation. You yeah. don't have to have alcohol in your life. And what happens, you told me one time about a perspective shift. And I have really seen that in my sobriety and how it does make all the difference. If you're wondering how to change your life, shift your perspective on everything. It will make all the difference. and. Yeah, remember when you were like early therapy or something? What did yeah, what was that story? Yeah, so I I was doing my practicum and you know, we were just eager students and we wanted to talk to the the veteran therapist like what's a book we should read and oh, tell me this. And the guy said, "Don't worry about reading any book." He said, "What you should do is spend a half an hour every day thinking up reframes." And that is when somebody says this problem to you, trying to figure out what is a reframe to that. So if you have somebody that says, um, when I go into a, a crowd, I'm really shy and I'm socially awkward. And, you know, a really valid or powerful reframe might be, you're the kind of person who doesn't like to just jump into conversations. You're more interested in listening to what people have to say. Mm-hmm. You're a more thoughtful person. You're not going to be the loudest person in the room. And so that shifts from, I'm afraid to talk in a crowd to, you know, my strength is listening, paying attention. And I didn't change anything about what happens. I changed how they perceive what happens and their perception of themselves. And so really we can do that about anything. I mean aside from I mean aside from abuse or something like that. Oh right. Or like systemic oppression and all, all right, like, right. There, like there if are... there's some real fucked up thing in their family, you don't want to just like, well, just look at it this way. Right. Or if it's like systemic oppression of races and, and poverty right. and every, like there, that's not just a, well, just shift your perspective and everything will <laughs> right, be fine. Right. Like that's not, we right. understand that we're two white women talking about this. So yes. we, we know that there are greater forces at play too that we haven't had to deal with. So right. And we don't want to minimize anything that's really awful. That's, that's not what this is about. No. This is about if you're going to have a perspective of I can't drink and I'm going to miss out on the fun, that is a ripe for a reframe. How am I going to change my thinking about this so that I don't feel deprived, but I feel like I have a really rich and wonderful sober life? Yes, just the reframe. When when we talk about boredom and sobriety, or am I still going to be fun if I stop drinking, right? As soon as I read that, I mean, my brain, after kind of working on these shifts for however many years, my brain now can't. It does does not make sense to me, right? To say without alcohol, I won't be fun. (laughs) 
it does not compute. I can see the lie, right? It's staring back at me. And immediately I think, oh, well, this person obviously still sees alcohol as additive, right? Right. And so they still see this as if, you know, I go to a wedding and the wedding's not fun and I'm not (laughs) drinking, right? Right. Then I'm not going to have fun. But if I start drinking, then the wedding will be fun. And that is a really, really big lie. And it's a logical fallacy. I'm not exactly sure what's one right now, but it is. Um, (laughs) But the idea that alcohol makes a wedding that's not fun, that makes it fun is a lie because what it does is it just makes us not care that the wedding's not fun. Because here's the thing. Some weddings just aren't fun. (laughs) And that's okay. (laughs) Not everything is going to be fun. You're going to go to a wedding that is not fun. You're not going to want to dance. The food's not great. You know, they don't have any mocktails. So you're going to drink sparkling water. And then what are you going to do? You're going to leave. And then you're going to go home and maybe order some Culver's or something. And then (laughs) watch, you know, some good TV. But instead of then being like, well, this wedding isn't fun. You know what would make it fun? Alcohol. No, like that's when you have to play that tape forward. No, that doesn't make that wedding fun. That just makes you not care about anything. Exactly. And I I often say that alcohol just makes us not pay attention to ourselves. It helps us ignore ourselves. We just don't care. Right. If you're at a place that's not fun, it's probably not fun. Yeah. And if you have to medicate yourself to make it fun, then maybe you should listen to yourself and like, "I, I just need to leave. And this goes for people too, not just weddings. If you are hanging out with, you know, a mom friend who maybe isn't your, isn't a great friend and you guys just always drink a lot and without alcohol, you're thinking, oh my God, I might not be invited. The reframe and the shift in that would say, oh my God, do you want to go? (laughs) Because those people just might not be fun. And that's right. okay. Not everybody's fun. We are though. Mom and I, we are fun. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. If you can dance sober, you're a fun person. Yeah. And we can dance sober. Yeah. Do you know, um, one of the things I heard you say long ago was, weren't you fun when you were a kid? Oh, was I? Right? Like no. when you were, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that was a rhetorical yeah. question, but was I fun when I was a kid? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so even what did you do as a kid that was fun before you discovered alcohol? Exactly. And that's what, oh man. So as we go into the holidays and Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas and Hanukkah or whatever you celebrate, if there is anything that's just so magical and fun, it's this time of year. And I know it can also be tough. And so it could also bring up a lot of hard things, a lot of family things. And I totally understand that. But if we're talking about having fun without alcohol, like Halloween, Halloween, (laughs) the fact that I see so many parents like drinking in solo cups as their kids are trick-or-treating when people are giving out free candy And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me right now? (laughs) How could this not be fun? My dream when I'm eight, but this is also my dream when I'm 43. Okay. (laughs) And like, don't (laughs) think I'm not going to dive face first into my kid's pumpkin thing. 
And that's fun. And alcohol is not needed for Halloween to be fun. You're going to a costume party. Like dressing up, I'm going to be a skeleton this year. I think we're going to have a family of skeletons, mom. Oh, are you really? How fun. I know. Very on brand too. So if you want to be a skeleton, like I get to dress up as one of my favorite things. That is fun. I don't need alcohol to come in and steal the fun because that's what it will do. Right. It makes you tired. Even if you don't drink to being totally drunk, it makes you tired. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It steals the fun. It steals the fun. It makes, even if it's not a blackout situation, even if it's not a brownout situation, it numbs everything. Your brain is turning off. You're not going to remember stuff. You're not going to notice stuff. It comes in and wrecks shit up. (laughs) (laughs) Wait. We need a shirt like that. Don't let alcohol come in and wreck shit up. It, it, how about, how about, it comes in and it just fucks shit up, guys. That's what alcohol does. Okay, so let's talk about, mom, enough chit-chat, okay? Yes, yes. Let's get to the heart of this. Let's talk about boredom and sobriety. Oh, my God. What are we going to do if we're bored? Oh. Yeah. Also, the idea that being bored, I think – In our society where we're always going and we're always distracted and we're always needed and we're always escaping and we're always numbing and we're just doing all of these things our whole adult life, the the idea of being bored, I think, terrifies a lot of people. I'm not one of them, (laughs) but I can understand it. Yes. So first of all, making friends with the idea of being bored. You could reframe that as... I just have some time to breathe and there is nothing going on. And that can just feel peaceful. Mm -hmm. You can feel bored, but you could also shift that to, I just feel peaceful. I don't have to go anywhere or do anything Yes, or think anything. Yeah. And I think about it like our kids too, right? What happens when our kids get bored? They get creative. Yeah, they get they figure out what they like to do. I tend to fall into this trap myself where I'm like, okay, I have a lot going on. I'm trying to cook dinner. I'm trying to do the dishes. I'm trying to get stuff ready for the next day, whatever. I, I have a lot to do. And I'm like, you know, they've been on the iPad. Generally, our rule is like they get an hour and I know I have to get them off and I'm dreading it because then I think that I have to entertain them right? Yeah. But there's always this thing that happens, and I tend to forget, is that when they get off, there's this period of like, I don't know what to do. I don't know. And then they just figure it out. And then they, you know, play naked and afraid outside. They're really big. (laughs) They're really big into that right now. Don't ask questions. Um, they, They play hotel, you know, they play school. They a lot of imagination and imaginary play. And I'm always like, oh, right. They figure it out. They figure out what they want to do. And it's the same with us. Yeah. Allowing for some space to accept that there will be periods of boredom and reframing it to it's peaceful, but also just sometimes like, okay, I am bored and I don't know what to do or what I like to do. And if you look at that, like this is horrible, or if you look at it, like it's an opportunity to try to figure something out about yourself and try some new things, which alcohol just never made it necessary. Just have a few glasses of wine, who cares? And I think that 
that could be a, a big stumbling block because when we feel bored, when we probably haven't maybe ever in our adult life, right? When we feel bored, it's not only that we're just like, ugh, I don't want to feel bored. It's the fear of, ugh, see, I knew that I would be missing out if alcohol wasn't in the picture. I knew that my life was going to completely change and I wasn't going to be able to do this. And, you know, like extrapolating that into this is how it will always feel. And I think yes, that, that yes. that's just fear. And I think that that's the most important time to remind ourselves of what we know rather than what we're afraid of. And so what do we know? We know that we we stopped drinking alcohol for a reason or maybe for 20 reasons, right? And write all of those down. What do we know? We know that we don't want to feel how we felt when alcohol was in our life. We know that we stopped for a reason. Yes. And the idea of the space that's created by not drinking, I, you know, when I do assessments, one of the questions I often ask is, why do you drink or what do you like about drinking? And it's not rare that someone will say, well, there's nothing else to do. Yeah. And I think in this whole wide world, there's nothing else to do except right. drink. It's just such a limited view of the opportunity that life provides. And I don't, I'm not talking about big stuff even, but just stuff that doesn't cost anything, going for a walk in the woods or on, on a new block in the city that you haven't seen before. Really broadening your view of what can be put into those those times when you would normally drink, even if not getting fall down drunk. But but yeah. just, you know, when you have three glasses of wine after work, chances are that's the end of your day. Yeah. You're not going to be doing anything productive or interesting or exciting because you're now, you're just going to veg on the couch. Right. Which is, or nourishing, right? And, and it's right. fine if you don't want to do anything productive after work, like that's understandable. But yes. we have also been tricked into thinking that the wine is helping us relax and helping our anxiety and helping our sleep. And all of those things are lies. I mean, it ruins all of those things. And right. so we can then figure out, oh, what is nourishing to me? What is going to help me have a good night's sleep? What is going to help me shake off my day and relax and to escape in a healthy way? Yes, yes. You've talked about that before, too. It's not like if we were using alcohol to escape that now, sorry, you can't escape. You just got to be in the shit all the time. Yeah, you have that's to feel not, all of the feelings all the time. All the time. I mean, that sounds like No, hell. there are really wonderful escapes that are healthy and edifying and they're not, they're not damaging to us. But you might not know what they are because you haven't had to know. And, and your whole adult life right? If the minute you felt bored, it's kind of like, you know, we're, we're addicted to our phones. I know, shocking. This is breaking news. And <laughs> I have found myself, and I try not to do this now because I've tried to really curb this addiction and I'm not doing great. That's another <laughs> podcast. But, you know, when Somebody's we're- has got one on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's not, I'm not going to do that episode. When, when I'm at a traffic light, like I find myself just reaching for my phone. Yep. And and it's like, well, what am I going to do in the 46 seconds that this light is red, right? But it's it's a discomfort 
and in not yes. wanting to just sit with myself and my thoughts or the radio or the whatever's or on. It could also be fear of missing out because yeah. who's going to post something that you know I might miss if it's well. Their the stories. thing about here's the I'm gonna give mom. I'm gonna give you a little behind uh, baseball. Inside baseball. Inside baseball. I'm like behind baseball. (laughs) Inside baseball on influencing is we don't really look at anybody else's stuff. We look to see how our stuff is is doing. Oh, how it's doing. And so it's like, oh, okay, how is this post performing? How am I doing at my job? Um, Is this successful? Am I successful? Am I worth it? Oh, yeah, that's a whole different animal. Right, right. And so it's not a missing out on other people. It's like, oh, tell me how I'm performing Am I good enough for this job? Right. What are the metrics or what? Yeah. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, but most of the time in our adult life, we haven't been bored. And as many chances as we have given alcohol, we have given alcohol so many chances. It does not Mm -hmm. deserve. We have given it the benefit of the doubt time and time, year and year, decade and decade again. And you deserve all of those chances. All of those chances that you have given alcohol, all of the excuses you have given alcohol, all of the bullshit. Yeah. You have accepted it when it has tricked you when it has betrayed you, when it hasn't given a shit about you, when it has lied to you, when it has promised you something, when it has interfered, stolen, when it has never come come through for you, you have still given it another chance. And so if you are going to just throw in the towel on sobriety and on yourself, the moment you feel boredom, Without saying, okay, I'm going to blindly trust. Like I did alcohol. I blindly trusted alcohol. So why can't I blindly trust this? Why can't I say, all right, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to get better. I don't know if I will always feel this way. I don't know where this will lead. But I am going to blindly trust because I have. I have blindly trusted alcohol and I have seen where that has gotten me. And now it's time to to trust this and trust this process and trust myself that I will be able to figure it out. That's what that's what I was thinking of when you were saying that is like trusting myself. Yes. I'm going to figure out how I want to spend the moments of my life. And if my moments sometimes are empty of distraction, that I'm going to trust that I will figure out what do I like, what brings me joy or enthusiasm or love of life, whatever it is, or peace. I'm going to trust that I will have that open space and figure out what to put in it if I want to put something in it. And it will be up to me. It won't be up to a substance that just numbs me out. And I like that you said it's you've just been distracted. You haven't been even busy, right? Your life hasn't been full if alcohol keeps tricking you and making its way in. You've been distracted and numbed and not present. Well, so let's go a little deeper about let's do um, it. What we yeah, yeah. 
so yeah, so all that distraction and the stuff we could put in there that that is fun building us up and you know something that we might like to do instead of drink. But one of the things, and Suzanne, you and I have talked about this, that there are stages of development that we go through throughout our life. And Eric Erickson is the guy, if you want to look him up, he's the guy that identified these stages of life and the task that we need to do at that stage in our life. Like one is intimacy versus isolation. Like when we get into the 30s and so like, yeah, am I going to be connected intimately with a partner or am I going to just be isolated in my life? So that's one of them. Yeah. The one that's important to this discussion, though, is called I identity versus identity confusion. And that is the stage we are in when we're an adolescent. Okay. So it's what, tweens and teens? Well, and now they're they're expanding the the length of adolescence to 25 or something. Oh, to 25? Because our brains aren't developed yet? Well, and because of the way that we live now, you know, like when kids come home from college now, often they you know, they're home for <laughs> several years. You guys, this coming. is like the story that when, when my brother and I, so first of all, we all graduated college, my mom, my brother, and myself, we graduated college within six months of each other. I would, right. I would like the record to show that I, it was an orderly fashion. My college career, I went right from high school to college. I was right on track. These two yahoos, my mom took some some time (laughs) off and my brother, you know, did his thing. So they kind of came on my timeline, but my time, I was right on track. Okay. Anyway. Yes. Well, I was getting my master's. I graduated my master's when you guys, yeah. Okay. There you go. But anyway. Okay. mom, Mom got her master's at that time. Okay. So Jay and I, my brother, we moved back home after we had graduated college, because that's just, as mom just said, that's what you do. Because I didn't go to college to have a career. I majored in French. So obviously a career was not not top of mind. (laughs) I literally was just like, I enjoy this. Okay. And then I graduated. I was like, oh, holy shit. What am I going to do now? Yeah. And Jay, the same thing, English and philosophy. Yeah. Not very useful out in the world. Not if you don't want to be a teacher. (laughs) Right. And so then we just went back home to live with mom and mom was loving it. Oh, it was, I was in heaven. You both lived there for six months or something or however long it was. I thought that was the best thing ever. And mom was like, you guys, isn't this the best? And we looked at her, we're like, are you fucking, this is horrible. (laughs) This This is horrible. This is not what is supposed to happen. We were in the depths of depression and like, oh my God, (laughs) what are we doing with our lives? Existential crisis. And mom's like, I'm just so happy you're home. Never leave. What do you want for dinner tonight? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> then we figured it we figured it out. But yes, and so okay, so in adolescence, right. So in adolescence and we could call that like 12 to whatever, you know, this and that's why adolescents are difficult cuz they sort of are trying out a bunch of different me's, you know, I'm the jock or I'm the goth or whatever. Was They're me. just trying I was out. the goth. Yes, yes. Yeah. You were the goth and the jock and you know, you just sort of swing back and forth and the preppy girl, the good student, the rebel. Yeah, I you was know. kind of I was the goth, but I was also vice president of National Honor Society and yeah, I was also yeah. a starting varsity volleyball player. I was kind of That's both. right. And a fashion icon, you wanted to oh, move icon, to New yeah. York. I mean, yeah. So all of it, right? And that is what our task is in adolescence. 
who am I? I'm going to try out a whole boatload of different things to figure out who I am. It, it can be painful, but it can also be really exciting. And it can be whiplashy, right? Like, whoa, totally. I thought you were a, you know, a cheerleader. Now you're a goth person. I don't even get this. Yeah. But so I was never a cheerleader. No. Mom, you were a cheerleader. I was a cheerleader back when the boomers, that was what, that was the only athletic thing we could do. I graduated when Title IX just started. So I, there was girls weren't in track. We were, we didn't. That's insane. It's such a sad thing. And that was also not that long ago. It started in the 70s when girls could actually be. That is crazy. Yeah, I know. It was really sad. But so the, the idea of trying to figure out who I am and what I like is a task we're supposed to do in adolescence. But if you start drinking when you were 14 or 15, now you don't have to figure out any of that shit because what yeah. you are is a party girl or a drinker. And and all of the feelings that were uncomfortable, you don't have to deal with. You don't have to figure out anything. So you are relieved of that task. Mm. Okay. So you drink through your late teens, you drink through college, maybe even drinking in your late 20s. 20s. Yes. Yeah. Maybe even. Yeah. yeah maybe yeah. even. Now, probably. Now. And into your 30s. Motherhood. Oh, sure. Probably, I mean, you you continue to drink, probably. If we're talking about like generally, and the women that I talk to on here, that's about right. Like you start drinking yeah. 15, 16, maybe in college at the latest, and then you're going to drink through your 20s, probably through your 30s and through having kids. Maybe it ramped up during COVID. And so then you're what? Mid 30s, late 30s, maybe even into yeah. your 40s. Right. And so it's very possible you never went through the identity versus identity confusion. And it doesn't matter age, because that's one of the things about these stages. If you don't complete a task that that stage requires you to complete, you're going to have to go back and do it when you're 50 or whatever. Yes. And so, you know, it's not like you put the brakes on everything else in your life. Do you still move on to like what's what's the next what's the next intimacy one? versus isolation? So that's when you're trying to figure out having a, a partner or not, or if you're going to be intimate. And yeah, and then I can't remember the next one. Actually, look them up, guys. Yeah, yeah, look them up. Eric Erickson and the stages of life. But so you might leapfrog and do some of the other work, but you do need to go back and figure out who am I, and especially if drinking interrupted that. So you can look at that as daunting. Oh, shit. I don't even know who I am. I don't even know what I like. It is daunting. Yes. Right? Yes. It can be exciting and daunting. Yes, it is both things. Generally, I would say exciting things are daunting. Uh, That's so true. Yeah, right. Boring things aren't very daunting. (laughs) Right. If they're not daunting, then they aren't exciting. Probably. Or if they are exciting, they are daunting. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. But they're both. It's both. In yeah, this look case, it up. It's both. But, but yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. But so there's a perfect example of a reframe. I don't know who I am and I don't know what I like and what a terrible thing that is. Or what an exciting thing that now I get to dabble. I get to try out a new identity of, am I an artistic person? Am I an athletic person? Am I somebody that likes being specific and particular about things like numbers? And I can't even really describe it because that's No, not mom me. doesn't even know. <laughs> I don't even know how to call that. No, but no. Yes. That would like, be an accountant. 
Am I accountant? <laughs> Maybe you're an accountant now. Am I? Did talk I, about boring. All these years. Oh, well, now we have to talk about Katie. You guys know my my best friend, Katie, of my entire yeah, life. That's a good example. Katie's great at trying to figure out who she is and what she likes. And she has tried it all. And she went to school before. Now she's a librarian. She went to school to be an accountant. Because she, it, since... Yeah, since 10, she wanted yeah. to be an accountant. This is like all the time. Like, and, and it, it made, we we're like, yep, Kate is going to be an accountant. Got it. And I can remember when she called me. This was like, so it was like early 2000s. And she called me from her job and she said, holy shit, these people are so boring. <laughs> and I was like, Katie, you're what an accountant. <laughs> yeah, you're an accountant. She quit. You guys, I think that day she was like, I don't want to be an accountant anymore. <laughs> so accountants are boring, okay? But not if you're listening to this. And if you're an accountant, then- Not if you you're know. thrilled by numbers. Right. Not if you're thrilled by numbers. It just all, all makes so much sense. And I think that even just having this conversation is a good way to shift boredom and sobriety because we can be freaked out by the boredom and not even realize it's because we don't know what we like to do and really how we identify with who we are and all of this all of these things right we can just think oh taking alcohol away has caused boredom and that's it it just doesn't stop there Yes, it doesn't stop there. That's such a good way to put it. Because we have to acknowledge you might be bored if you quit drinking. Yes. We're not saying that that'll never happen. And But yeah, you might be bored. But the story doesn't stop there. I think that's a great way to put it, Suzanne. Yeah, now that's an entry. Okay, now what? What are you going to do? Right. And the thing is, it will stop there if you don't keep going. So right. if you then say at the first kind of sign of boredom, you say, oh, see, I knew it. I knew sobriety was going to be boring. Hand me the wine. Now you have just proven to your brain that sobriety equals boredom and that alcohol equals fun. And that's just not true. Your brain has been tricked yet again, right? Yes. But if you stick with that, okay, yep, here it is. I'm bored. What does this mean? Where will this lead? And I promise you, listen to, I don't know how many episodes we've had, maybe a hundred. We've had a lot. Oh, wow. We should have had a party at a hundred. I know we should. <laughs> you will never, and I, I never say never, but I'm going to say never. That's a lot. You're out on a limb there, girl. I know. I'm out on a, I can feel it too. I can feel it. <laughs> You're just never going to sit down with someone who's been, with a woman who's been sober for five years. She's not going to say, I mean, it's okay. It's boring. If I'm going to be honest, sobriety is just boring. That just is not a conversation that I have ever had. I don't ever foresee having that conversation because it's not true. That's such a good point. It's always, holy shit, look at what sobriety has given me. Look at what I have accomplished. Look at what I'm able to feel. Look at my relationships. Look at this. And I thought it was going to be boring. And I thought I was going to miss out. That's always the conversation. So true. And we've heard it over and over and over. And you know who's boring? A drunk person. Yes. Yes. 
a drunk person. You guys, be of clear mind around a drunk person and tell me they're fun. You can't. Yes. That is not fun. And I've heard a number of women say that they thought they were extroverts when they were drinking. And Mm -hmm. then when they quit drinking, they realized they aren't extroverts, that they tend to be more introverted. And I think that's a a thing to embrace about ourselves. It's not better to be an extrovert than an introvert. Introverts have a lot of really important and powerful characteristics. In our society, we think you have to be an extrovert, you have to be loud in order to be important. But that is really, really wrong. And so embracing that you maybe aren't the party girl anymore, that might be a good thing. Yes. It's it's just, it goes back to the trick of that alcohol makes us fun. And when we really feel what's fun, like when we really feel fun in sobriety, it's really fun. It is like belly laughs fun and awe and wonder and curiosity and that's fun. Peacefulness even. Yes. yes. It's so funny because when I – um, okay, so I stopped drinking. I was 39. And I, I think I always attributed my rediscovering kind of the goth, edgy skulls, skeletons, all of the like edgy whatever. I kind of always attributed that to turning 40. But I wonder if it really is a part of that identity thing that I'm going back because that's when I started my kind of goth edginess when I was 16, 17. Ah, yeah. That's when that started, that kind of counterculture thing of not wanting to fit in kind of and contrary. Yeah. Yeah. And and the nirvana of it and the kind of rage against the machine sort of identity. It's so interesting because that's when I started bringing back that into my life. And into Ah. our home and into home decor and just how I feel and the things that I surround myself with. So I wonder. Well, and also just this counterculture thing that you're doing with the sober mom life. Yeah. I mean, that is counterculture. Yeah. And and edgy. And yeah. And that speaks to sobriety is not boring. Sobriety is edgy. And it's being a a rebel for sure. And when you're one of 30 people at a party that's not drinking, probably you should leave. But but, probably don't stay the whole time. Yeah, right. But that that really is counter. It's it's being a rebel. Yeah. Edgy. Yeah. Yes. Sobriety is the most rebellious thing you can do in a culture that is obsessed with alcohol. It is the most badass thing. And that's what we always talk about in our groups too. And I think that that's how I try to empower the women into saying like, oh, what if everyone's drinking and I'm the only one not? And I'm like, how fucking badass is that? Like, do we want to be like everybody? I've seen them. I don't want to be like them. I never have and I never will. And I think that as we get into like our 40s too, something happens with that and you realize that you matter more than what people think of you. And it's the most empowering, badass thing you can do, I think. And not at all boring. And the opposite of boring. 
Mom, thank you. This is where I always say, tell people where they can find you. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at in the groups. Yes, in the groups. You guys, mom has her own group. She's got a Wednesday night group, 7 p.m. Central. Come to the Sober Mom Life Cafe and you can, I'm telling you, it's not therapy. Disclaimer. No, it's not therapy. It's not yeah. therapy. It's not but there's a therapist in the room, I'm just going to yeah. say. And she's uh, she's a badass one, guys. So come and join the Sober Mom Life Cafe. That link is in the show notes. We'll also link the Eric Erickson Life Stages. We'll link that in the show notes too. Okay. Thanks, Mom. I love you. I love you, babe. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay, I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye. I'm not talking about big stuff even, but just stuff that doesn't cost anything. Going for a walk in the woods or on, on a new block in the city that you haven't seen before. We're counting your hostas, you guys. If you think sobriety is boring. <laughs> I have 104 hostas, I got to say. You guys, this is I – I know, I know for a fact sobriety is not boring. Retirement, I mean, I don't know because if you're new here, mom recently retired. And she was here and she was like, you know what I'm going to do when I get home? She was like leaving that morning. She was like – I've been wondering how many hostas I have, like the plants. You guys know hostas? And she was like, you know what? I'm When I get home, I'm going to count them. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. And I was thinking maybe she was either joking or she would forget. And uh, she didn't because when she got home, I got a text. And she said, I have 104 hostas. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, the woman is bored. <laughs> Oh, see, that's exciting to me. You yeah, know, I know I'm that is exciting. She's, you guys, mom is such a gardener. We call her the gardenator. Yeah, um, she is. A- she is very dedicated to her garden. So, uh, you count your hostas. You know what other people find boring, <laughs> you might find thrilling, and that is great. <laughs> right. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.